all things in common. That's a, a phrase that Luke used to describe the way the church was in Jerusalem in the very early days of people following Jesus, that they had all things in common. And we talked last week about what does that mean to have all things in common? We talked about how it means that you don't set things aside for yourself and your own pleasure and your own stuff and say, this is mine, you can't have any of it. Not when there's people that need to be fed, people that need to be clothed, and people that need a roof over their head within the the people of God. That we share what we have with other people who are in need. And, And we have all things in common where we don't consider something to be our own. We talked about how that's directly tied to the kingship of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is providing for his people by teaching his people to be generous, right? He's teaching his people through his own sacrifice and through the indwelling of the Spirit to share with each other. He's changing their hearts and thereby he is providing for the people. And so it says about the early church that there was not a needy person among them. And really, you know, I, and we talked about this last week, but it's true. It's true now, isn't it? It's not just a first century thing. It's true now. And most of us have experienced that. I experienced that here. I've experienced that in every congregation I've ever been a part of. How when someone is sick or when somebody has a new baby, uh, ladies of the congregation will take food. I'm sorry. So, some of you men might do that too. You cook some food and take it over to them. And, and we, we feed each other that that need food. If somebody is struggling with finances, we rush to their aid. I, I mean, even, again, this building that we meet in. What, what is this? It's a shared house, isn't it? This is a house, and we're sharing it. We're having all things in common. We passed the plate a few minutes ago, and we took a portion of, of the money we brought in this week as families, and we put it into a collection to, to take it up so that we could share things together, so that we can meet in the shared house, so that we could take care of ministers and their families and administrative staff and their families and all the ministries that we do for the community and for each other and, and even those reaching out to people all over the world right now. Members from McDermott are down in Nicaragua and some just got back from Nicaragua helping to take care of people in other parts of the world. We're sharing what we have with each other. We're really doing this, aren't we? Having all things in common. And it's a wonderful thing because it's God. It's not us. It's Jesus taking care of his people. Jesus is taking care of his people through the generosity of his people. But sometimes it's really easy not to think of the church that way. Sometimes we have to fight the tendency that we have as 21st century Americans to think of the church as something that we attend, right? I mean, that's if we're honest, sometimes as individuals, that's how we tend to think of it, don't we? We say, I'm going to church, or that's the church I go to. The church isn't something we attend, it's something that we're a part of. It's, it's not like the gas station, but that's how we treat it sometimes, isn't it? We, we go to the gas station, and, and I don't really care which gas station I go to. I just need gas. And so I pull up at the gas station, and I, I get what I need, and I pay them what I need to pay them, and I leave. And I don't think about them again until I need them again. And then when I need them again, I pull up, I get what I need, and I leave. And that's sometimes how we tend to think about the church, isn't it? We come once a week. We get what we need. We, we, we enjoy it. We, we take it, and, and then we go. 
And we tend to think of the church building and the church work and the church ministries as that's something that someone else does that I'm a a beneficiary of. I go and I get what I need and then I, I leave. But Jesus never intended for it to be that way. Jesus never intended for us to think about the church that way. Jesus never intended for Christianity for that to be what it has become as something that we attend or a part of our life. It's intended to be all of our life, that, that Jesus is our life. And as Jesus being our life, we share in this community. We have all things in common. That's the way Jesus always intended for it to be. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what salvation is all about. But again, we have a tendency to think of salvation and Christianity and the gospel as a very individual thing, don't we? I, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm doing my thing. I'm living my life pretty good. And you know, I go to church when I need to go to church and I get what I need from the church when I need that. I give a little bit to the church and then I go on about my way. It's the wrong way to think about it. This is our family. This is our shared home together. And we come here because this is what our life is about, right? And we share with each other. When somebody's in need, we share with each other, whether it be a part of this immediate family or our extended family all over the world. And as we read through the letters that Paul and the other apostles wrote to Christian people, what I want us to do is look at the difference between what Paul was preaching to them and the way we tend to think about Christianity and life in the church. He never talks about life in the church as just something you attend. It's something that you are a part of. So let's look at the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And and kind of here's the background, okay? So, so Paul had had several interactions with the Corinthians. He had been in Corinth for quite a while, and he had written them before he had been there, before he wrote this letter, a year previously, he had gotten some collection from them, and he was traveling around the area, and he was collecting money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Isn't that kind of interesting that when we started our story yesterday, as this Jesus movement first got started in Jerusalem, how there wasn't a needy person among them, but famine came to Jerusalem and they'd gone through some hard times. And so there was extreme poverty and hunger in Jerusalem. And Paul was teaching churches in other parts of the Mediterranean area, it is our responsibility as a big family, as the family of Jesus, as the followers of Christ, as the new kingdom people, it's our responsibility to take care of each other to have all things in common, to share our need and to share our abundance so that nobody in Jesus' family goes hungry and nobody is without clothes and nobody goes without a roof over their head. We need to make sure that our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are taken care of. And so he had been preaching this message throughout the area and the people in Corinth, they're like me and they're like you maybe. They, they, They tend to be like us very kind of individualistic, kind of take care of ourselves. We saw that especially in Paul's first letter. And he writes them the second letter to say, hey, listen, I'm coming and I'm going to take this collection and you guys kind of started this and and you were giving to this and you promised. You were really excited about it. You said, yes, we're going to help take care of those Christians in Jerusalem, our brothers and sisters. So I just want to make sure that when I get there that you have the gift ready. And he says, And in order to kind of remind you of that and kind of spur you on, let me tell you about the church in Macedonia. There were several churches in the Macedonian area 
Philippi, you know, the letter to the Philippians, that's one of those churches. And they had been incredibly generous, even though that was a much poorer area than the area of Corinth. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about, listen to this phrase, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, that's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? He's talking about the, the gift that the Macedonians had given that's going to go to support the Christians in Jerusalem. But what does he call it? He calls it the grace of God. God's grace. God's gift. You know, I, I was reading through this this morning, and I got to thinking about how when I'm talking to Malachi and Noah, my boys, about giving on Sunday morning and putting money in the plate, we, we often call it giving to God. And, and I think that's true. We are. We're giving to God, right? But, but the way Paul puts it here is it's not really the Macedonians gave to God. It's really that God is giving, right? God is giving through them. When you put money in the plate, it's not really you giving to God. It's God giving to others through you, right? It's God taking care of his people through you. God changed your heart. God changed your life. God changed your checkbook. God changed your finances. God is supplying the needs of his people through you. It's God's grace. It's God's gift that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... I want you to notice these contrasting terms, okay? I, I like these, kind of, it's kind of nerdy, I know, but stay with me. Look at it. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. You see how their joy and their generosity were not determined by their situation and their circumstances? In spite of the fact that they had a test of affliction and really extreme poverty, they ended up being incredibly joyful and a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means. You say, you know, it, it may not be, it's kind of like the widow's might, right? I mean, it may not be a ton of money, but what they gave in their situation in their test of affliction, in their, in their extreme poverty, what they gave according to their means is a great deal. It's incredibly generous. It's a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and really beyond their means, of their own accord. It goes with what he's going to say in the next chapter, doesn't it? That they gave of their own accord. Nobody forced them to give. Nobody said, hey, you've got to do this. There's no heavy-handedness, no, no trying to pull it out of them. God doesn't like giving like that, does he? God doesn't like people's arm to be twisted and people to give out of compulsion. God loves a, what kind of giver? Cheerful giver, right? And he says, that's that's what the Macedonians did. Man, they're they're struggling up there. And they've got it rough. They they are not, not anywhere near as wealthy as you are, he's saying to the Corinthians. But of their own accord, They, look at what it says, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They begged us, please, Paul, listen, I know we don't have much, but please let us be a part of this. We want to be a part of this work. It's important work. And our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem need this money. 
And we would love to take part in this. Please, please, please let us be a part of this. I mean, does that describe you? Does that describe me? Is that the kind of heart that we have? Has Jesus so transformed our heart? Has the Spirit of God so transformed our heart that when we see our brothers and sisters in need, we beg for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints? Do we do that? Do you do that? I know that as a whole we can say Christians in general do this or this congregation does this in general. I know that. That's absolutely true. What I'm asking is, does West do this? Do you do this? Do we look for those opportunities? Do we consider it a favor to be a part of relieving our brothers and sisters of their need? Verse 5, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Do you see how that works? That when you give yourself to the Lord, and that's what we talked about last month, isn't it? In our series on discipleship about getting off the dock and getting into the boat with both feet. And we say, I've given myself fully to the Lord. That that's what happens. When you give yourself fully to the Lord, then by the will of God, you give yourself to your brothers and sisters. That's what happens. We, we, we have so kind of divided and compartmentalized our mind, haven't we? Where we say, oh yes, I'm fully committed to Jesus and I'm a Jesus follower and I want to do things Jesus' way and I totally belong to you, Lord, and we'll sing these songs and yes, I'm totally committed to you. But are you totally committed to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that's what happens. That you give yourselves fully to the Lord and then by the will of God, you give yourself to each other. Now, I, I know there, there's, there's so much that we could say about giving to the community and helping other people in need, and I absolutely think that Christian people ought to do that. But the New Testament spends a whole lot of time, the majority of the time, talking about how when there are brothers and sisters in Christ, not just in our own community or in our own congregation, but all over the world, especially in poorer areas of the world, because that's what Paul's talking about, isn't it? He's talking about mission work, isn't he? He's talking about his their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and his brothers and sisters in Macedonia that were all saying, we're a family. We are a kingdom. We are a community. And we have to have everything in common. And their need is our need. And our abundance is their abundance. Verse 6, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See, I mean, that's what the grace of God does, doesn't it? The grace of God changes us into grace givers, right? We can't just be grace receivers. We've got to be grace givers. And that's how God gives grace to others. Not just saving grace. We have a tendency when we think about grace to just think about saving grace. That's good grace, isn't it? I mean, that's good grace. Forgiving grace. That's good grace. But grace is favor and gift. And that's how God gifts his people is through his people. He gives grace to you and he changes you and he changes you into a grace giver. And he begs us that if his grace has changed us, then we should excel in the grace 
of taking care of our brothers and our sisters in need. Verse 8, I say this not as a command. Again, Paul's desire is never to twist anybody's arm. My desire is never to twist anybody's arm. The elders here, our desire is never to twist anybody's arm, right? I'm not saying this to be heavy-handed and say, you have to do this. I don't care if you want to or not. You do it whether you like it or not. That's how I tell my kids to eat their vegetables, right? I don't care if you like it. You're going to eat it. But Paul says, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to compel you to do anything. God doesn't want to give, doesn't want you to give out of compulsion. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, that your love is also genuine. I mean, that's, that's the whole of the New Testament, isn't it? It's one thing to say we love someone. First John talks about this. James's letter talks about this. It's one thing to say, I love you. But love that doesn't show itself in deeds isn't really love, is it? When we have brothers and sisters all over the world that don't have clothing or daily food, and we say to them, be warmed and well-fed, hope that works out for you, then we're not really loving them. And Paul's saying, I'm, I'm presenting you with a need that's right now. Your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and your brothers and sisters in Macedonia have been incredibly generous. Even though they didn't have it to give, they've been incredibly generous with this situation. And I want you to prove that your love for them is genuine, that it's real. I know that it is, but I want you to prove it. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. See, that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the gospel. Paul's saying, this ought to change you. That Jesus, that God, although he had everything, he gave up everything and had nothing so that by his grace, you might be rich. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. And that ought to change the way you look at other people. That ought to change the way you treat other people. That ought to change the way that you love. Verse 10. And in this matter, I give you my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. <laughs> That's a common phrase throughout what he's saying here, isn't it? Out of what you have. For if the readiness that is your eagerness or your zeal, your passion for it is there. It's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I don't expect you to give what you don't have. Just give what you have, right? I don't expect you to go without having food yourselves. You have this abundance. You're rich people, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, right? You have that. The people in Macedonia, they really didn't have, and somehow they still gave. And you have. I'm not asking to get you to give what you don't have. I'm just asking you to give what you have for your zeal and your excitement to be matched in your completing it out of what you have. Verse 13, for I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may 
supply your need that there might be fairness, right? I'm not asking that you go hungry so that somebody else might be fed. I'm not asking that you have nothing so that they can have an abundance. All I'm asking is that you have this abundance. You have a surplus. You have extra. All I'm asking is that you give some of your extra so that they can have what they need. And someday, it may be that they have an abundance and you have a need. And in that case, their abundance is going to supply your need. This is what fairness looks like in the kingdom of God. Our world tells us if you've got something, it's yours. Hold on to it. Sanctify it for yourself. Set it apart for you, right? Hold it over here and say, you can't have none of this. This is mine. This is all for me, for my pleasure and my enjoyment. It's not yours. Keep your hands off of it. That's what the world tells us to do. That's our tendency, isn't it? To hold on to what's ours and to look out for, we say, look out for number one, right? Hold on to it. But the New Testament teaches us that in the kingdom of God, we have all things in common. And when our brother or sister has a need and we have an abundance, then we share with them. And it may come a time where we have a need and they have an abundance. And then in that case, they share with us. But this is what fairness looks like in the kingdom of God. Now, he goes on to say this interesting phrase in the next verse, 15. As it is written. So, as scripture says, right? As scripture says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Where does that come from? Exodus, right? Exodus chapter 16. What's the story of Exodus about? Well, it's about this group of people that God is saving, right? (laughs) A group of people God is saving. Not an individual here and an individual there, but a group of people that God is saving. That's what the church is. That's what Christians are, is a group of people that God is saving. Delivering out of darkness. In Exodus, it was the darkness, the kingdom of Egypt, right? Slavery in Egypt and delivering them out of that and into the promised land. And that's that's what he's doing with us. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what God is doing with you. He's delivering you out of darkness. He's bringing you out of slavery and into freedom and into his kingdom. And as God was delivering those people, do you remember they were hungry? And they said, God, feed us. And God sent down food, right? He sent down manna from heaven. And God said, okay, six days, you're going to go out. You're going to collect this bread that fell down out of heaven. And you're going to collect it. And some of you, you you got big families. And so you're going to collect a bunch of it. And some of you, you got smaller families. So you're going to collect a smaller amount of it. But in the end, everybody's going to have the same. Because you don't get to hoard any of it. What happened if they hoarded it? Do you remember? If they hoarded it, they said, I'm going to take a little bit extra for me, and I'll save this for tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, make sure that there's still some more. It would turn rotten, and it stank, and it made God angry. Do we see? God takes care of his people. God feeds his hungry people. God gives clothing to his naked people. God puts a roof over the heads of his people. And how does he do that? He does that by changing the hearts of his people and the minds of his people so that we don't hold anything away from each other and say, this is mine, you can't have any of it. Now instead, we have all things in common. And so I was thinking about how do we put this in a phrase that kind of helps us to remember what we should do. Here's the takeaway I want us to think about this morning on the next slide. 
When you see a need, and I think this is the part we're pretty good at, when you see a need, look for your abundance, right? You see somebody in need, and you say, there's my brother or my sister in need. And again, we could apply this to the community too, but, but first we take care of our family, right? Not just here in McDermott Road, but all over the world, our Christian brothers and sisters. Because God is taking care of his people through his people. And when you see that you have a need that you've been presented with, then you say, do I have something I can share with the person in need? If you have a brother or sister that's hungry or need clothes or needs a roof over the head, and you say, I, I can provide that. I can do something about that. I can contribute towards that. I, I may not have everything that that person needs, but I have something, and I can put it towards that. So when you see a need, look for an abundance. But the second part is also when you see your abundance, look for a need. That's the part I think I struggle with. How about you? When you see your abundance, instead of saying, oh, this is mine, I'm going to hold on to it, I'm going to stick it away here, I hope nobody notices I have that, I'm going to stick that away, I'll use that later. Instead of doing that, when we have an abundance, when we come into something extra, and we say, you know what, this could bless somebody, and I don't know yet who it's going to be, but I'm going to bless somebody with this. Listen again to what Paul says. What is said in the story of the Exodus? Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. God takes care of his people by changing the hearts of his people so that we don't hold things away from each other, so that we don't set things apart for ourselves, but we have all things in common. When we see a need, we look for our abundance. When we see our abundance, we look for someone's need. And that's true in a congregation, and that's true throughout the world. It's supposed to be, isn't it? And, and I see that here, and that's what's so exciting about being a part of a congregation like McDermott. Now, let me tell you, I came from small congregations. You know, I felt like we had 60 people on Sunday morning. I thought, man, we're busting at the seams. This is awesome. And, and here we have a thousand people nearly that come every Sunday morning to gather it, except when it's cold. That's different. But, you know, we have, we have a thousand people. We have, we have such a big family here. And do we see why that's so important? It's because now we can know each other's needs because we come together, this shared house. And we, when somebody has something that, that they're dealing with, we send an email out to everybody so everybody knows everybody can be praying and taking food to each other and encouraging each other and helping each other. And so that as a congregation, we can pool our resources and, and go to Nicaragua or go to Haiti or go to, to Estonia or wherever it may be to help our brothers and sisters, to spread the word of the God, spread the word of God, to grow the borders of the kingdom of God. That's what is so exciting about being a part of God's people. And that when we see a need, we look for our abundance. And when we see our abundance, we look for a need. And that's true of God's people in general. The question is, is that true of you as an individual? And if it's not, I don't say this to make you feel bad. If you haven't been contributing or being a part, if you've just looked at the church as something you attend rather than something you're a part of, I don't say this to guilt you. I say this to invite you. Come and be a part of God's people. Let's share with each other. Let's let God take care of his people through his people. Be a part of this. Be all in. Be sold out. Be committed to what God is doing right here in this area and throughout the world through his people. So I beg you, when you see a need, look for your abundance. And when you see an abundance, 
Look for a need that you can help to meet. That's what God's people are supposed to be about. We want to invite you not only not only to be a part of that if you haven't been, but if you haven't even begun to walk with Jesus by dying to yourself and being delivered out of that kingdom of darkness, being buried with Jesus in baptism, if you haven't begun that yet, the invitation is yours. If you just need prayers or encouragement, our shepherds meet in my office in the back after services, and they would love nothing more than to meet with you, encourage you, pray with you. Let us pray with you there or now as together we stand and sing.